0: hello and welcome to King's Landing today we are going over episode 3 of season 7 which is the Queen's Justice um, before we get started I just wanted to address something really quick um, I'm the one editing all of the podcasts and um, a couple people messaged me last week asking about the audio um, just in terms of volume there's a lot of really bad background noise on the recordings and I uh, In order to get rid of that it distorted the voice a little bit and so like the quieter i made it the better it sounded but i did a lot of troubleshooting last uh over the last couple of days and figured out how to fix that without that being an issue um so from this episode on out uh volume should be back to normal and be uh good enough um but i'm glad people reached out so that that was something i could look at and fix um, anything else you would like to talk about before we get started? Just as far as the timelines with the release
1: of our show pods, we're trying to get into a consistent rhythm of releasing
0: them on Wednesdays. All right. Ready to get into this episode? 100%. Um, so we just kind of like opened with this episode, didn't we? We just got right into it. Yeah. There's so much to discuss. So we open right away with John getting on to Dragonstone and he's met by Tyrion and Miss Sandy and uh, Davos is with him. And it's I was just already internally screaming that it happened so quickly. Like,, um, if just thinking back like three weeks ago to our predictions podcast, you mm-hmm. and I both were like, uh, John and Danny will probably meet later in the season. Like I even said, I thought it was going to be the last episode. And here we are in the third episode. And this is going to be a running um, consistency throughout this episode where things just kept happening. That yeah. I was like, uh, I think my my uh, tweet last night summarized my feelings about this, which is uh, um, when 90% of what you predict happens in Game of Thrones, but it happens by episode three. Where do we go that from one? here? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That is that is my summary of this episode.
1: Um, I would just to follow up on that, this episode, and I noticed um, just from titles of some think pieces that were coming out today after the episode, just the pace of the show. Yeah. Like we knew that it would be an increased pace with only seven episodes this season, but this is insane
0: (laughs) it's very fast yeah uh i mean even it's it's more than just compressing a 10 episode season into a seven episode season it's doing that and then also accelerating the pace i feel like they're compressing two seasons at least into seven episodes
1: yeah which begs the question if
0: so much is going to happen this season what happens next season? (laughs) so getting back to this first scene Mm -hmm. uh i really enjoyed the conversation with John and Tyrion, it was great Mm -hmm. getting to see Kit and Peter work together again because they just have really good chemistry. Um, And another running theme in this episode for me will be that, again, I don't think the dialogue was great. Um, It was also similar, a lot of my frustrations to the first episode, but I think the actors pulled it off better. Um, So I wasn't as upset about the dialogue because I was really into the performances. So this is one of those moments the dialogue was really flat, but the performance more than made up for it. We finally John gets his first glimpse of
1: dragons and he sees all three Um, Drogon is the one that flies directly over the group as far as I could tell
0: and I I had to love the setup here where he says, oh I'm God. not a Stark, and then <laughs> the dragon swoops down immediately. I was just kind of like, ugh, they're hitting us There's over the had head with this a little There's a Targaryen blood thing going on. The
1: dragons know.
0: Yeah. Um, I also wanted to compliment uh, mm-hmm. Liam Cunningham's performance in this entire episode The awkwardness with which he plays Davos is really hard to do, making it so obvious that he was not Mm. born into this role. He was not taught from a young age how to behave diplomatically, but he's doing his (laughs) best. Um, Just to really quickly touch back on their Mm. conversation about Sansa, because I think this will be important in the future. They're setting up that Tyrion and Sansa won't be enemies
1: Yes, I agree with you. There doesn't seem to be anything for Sansa
0: and Tyrion to contend over. And then uh, the writers decided to make us wait and torture us just a little bit more because we're just sitting there like, when are they meeting? When are they meeting? What is this moment happening? But instead we get a scene with Melisandra and Varys. This surprised me. I
1: wasn't expecting the scene with them at all. Yeah. And then Varys goes in and is very like his demeanor is very aggressive it was a little bit savage it's like oh he was very threatening to melisandra like why aren't you down um to greet them oh it's because i have a bad relationship or i left on bad terms with john Mm -hmm. okay and then melisandra drops oh i'm going to philantis and by the way i'll be back Um, Because it's my destiny to die in Westeros, and it's your destiny to die in Westeros, too. Right.
0: (laughs) Um, It's like, okay. So I actually have a comment from a friend who messaged me and asked for us to talk about this a little bit. Uh, So my friend Fran in Germany is listening to us, uh, and she asks um, if you think that there might be a relationship between Varys and Melisandre from Bush... Before if they might have history that we don't know about because there is so much animosity between them Um, Wondering if Varys knows what Melisandre did to Shireen because as we know Varys knows everything and has a good network Um, but the main point is that Varys was sold to a sorcerer in Mir and um, since we know that Thoros is from Mir and he's a sorcerer who is with the Lord of the Light so we're assuming mm-hmm. that Varys was sold to a sorcerer who is also a follower of Valor, Um mm-hmm. and also that Melisandre is old and older than she lets on and uses a lot of disguises. Right. Do we think mm-hmm. that they might have a history that we don't know about, or that even they don't know about?
1: I think Varys' attitude stems more from the fact that Melisandra is a red priestess than it is from Melisandra as Melisandra. um and i would say mm-hmm. she definitely could have used a glamour but that would be something i'd expect more in the books and the show because the show has been very careful to keep any discussion about glamours to literally that scene in the sixth season where it's revealed that Melisandra is actually an old woman so that's my take on it but do you have a different opinion
0: um my response is basically is very similar I think that it might be different in the books than it is in the show I think we haven't seen Varys and Melisandre interact in the books yet um and I could very easily see them knowing each other uh because they do have very similar histories and interests um which is something I really liked about the TV show, that discussion of how when you give the common folk power, it's, we're really hard to let go of it. We're like lions who've tasted man. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think in the show, it's much more just that Varys doesn't like magic. He hates magic. He associates magic with his uh, torture as a child. Um, but I do think that their relationship is fascinating. Um, as you said, Melisandre is headed to Volantis, and uh, Melisandre says that she has to return to Westeros because she has to die here, as does Varys. So, especially combined with last week's I'll burn you alive if you betray me, the lack of subtlety makes me think it's going to happen soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I wanted to talk about is
1: actually the other side of that coin. Why is Melisandre going to Volantis? What is in Volantis for her? Is she going... Yeah. The only thing that I could think of is, since there's riller worshippers there, to go and try and get more priests and priestesses to come over to Westeros to help out Danny in the long term, to kind to spread Riller's message and the legends about the prince that was promised throughout Westeros,
0: so that they see that that
1: could be Danny, that could be John, mm-hmm. like.
0: This is one of those things where the pace is flying so quickly that I'm just like, I honestly think they sent her to Volantis just so we would know where she is while things happen without her Mm -hmm. before she comes back. Um, I like that you're trying to think what she would do there because that's better writing, in my opinion, if she does have a function there. I guess Mm -hmm. I was just a little more cynical. Um, I think the important thing is that she will come back and... She just can't be near John and Davos right now.
1: Yeah, and another off show possibility for her absence is because Carice was pregnant.
0: Yeah, that (laughs) too. I do think that obviously her age is going to have something to do with something, because why else would that have been such a big reveal last season? Um, Like, like that's got to do something. But I really don't have any specific predictions. And then
1: the next scene, we are also in the throne room again, and this is the first time that John Stark, John Snow, meets Daenerys John Targaryen. Targaryen. Yes, start talking about this because so... I'm just going to like gleefully clap.
0: I I think that these actors had a lot of pressure on them because this is a relationship that's been built up by the fandom before the, the TV show even existed. Um, John and Daenerys finally meeting uh, has just like the most exciting meet of all time. Like there's no other characters meeting each other that I was looking forward to more than these two. And they pulled it off. I thought that the dialogue wasn't terrible. It was a little flat at times, but again, their performances really pulled through and just made this such a believable um, first meeting. I think that uh, they both were great diplomats. Danny is really showing off. I loved her rhetorical style where she starts off by saying, I'm not very well educated and then proceeds to completely educate everybody. By the way, I've read the entire history of Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> I like Tyrion. Um look glancing at her like with just pride on his face. Uh that was great. I think that it was really cool to have Davos and Tyrion as like a second level of interaction there. Um because they are both these like children rulers yet the adults in the room are making sure that they are doing everything the way they should be doing. It's just—it was this very sweet moment at times, but also just incredibly acted.
1: Was one of your favorite moments when Davos is like, "This is Jon Snow."
0: I was laughing so gleefully because <laughs> Missandei <laughs> just does this great introduction, and then it's just like he's king of the North. <laughs> <laughs> And I really do think that that is perfect, because John is more gritty and, you know, blue-collar, quote-unquote, whereas Danny is this, yeah. He's humble. And I think he was humbled by her. He was impressed by her. And I think she is confused about him. And then also, I had just not even considered the fact that Tyrion and Daenerys don't know about the White Walkers.
1: Yeah, so I'm confused by this, because... Tyrion was there during Lord Commander Mormont's time when the White went crazy, right?
0: I think he had left by that point. Okay. But he was in King's Landing when Sir Alistair brought the hand. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Which is why he was like, I trust Lord Mormont, and I remember Lord Mormont sent this letter in a. In a later scene, when he discusses Lord Mormont, but mm-hmm. I was confused too at first.
1: But yeah, I think that's a really good point that you brought up because right now they're m- both John and Daenerys's um, a significant obstacle is how do you market yourself to people who don't know your story, and when you don't have time, people aren't going to trust them right away, and you know they're both coming from good places. We know yeah. this, but we've also been watching them for seven years.
0: And I think that's another thing that they both acted well, um, mm. is that they? I think they both had built up the other one in their head a lot mm. and had all of these conceptions, preconceptions about them. Mm-hmm. And then when they showed up together, they were like, oh, you're a person. Mm. That's a good point. And you're not very different from me. I think it's pretty obvious that someone has to go north from Daenerys's." brood of people on a dragon I was crying yeah. out at this
1: well I wasn't crying out but I wrote down dragon rider in all capitals
0: I think <laughs> that our preseason prediction that Tyrion is going to go to the wall is still pretty valid in my mind because yep. Daenerys needs to believe in the walkers especially if Jon gets news of an attack at Eastwatch I think that could be a good um reason to go north yeah and maybe a dragon will just like happen to follow one of them (laughs) yeah or maybe Danny will send a dragon with them i could see that happening too so the whole point of daenerys inviting
1: john here was to bend the knee that does not happen anywhere Mm -hmm. in this episode so that's still kind of up in the air on how much they trust each other there's no finality as to whether they will be allies or not and then I, I, we would be remiss if we didn't discuss how John stopped Stavos from talking about
0: his heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a really important thing that I have been, had on my notes the last two episodes to talk about, but I kept forgetting, is that we need to talk about the fact that John was brought back from the dead and nothing has come of that. I think that this is going to be an important thing in the future. We talk about um, the fact that... There might be a tension between Danny and John in the future in terms of them actually facing off against each mm-hmm. other. That might be where season eight heads. This could be what happens because technically, John is a white. John is a fire white. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the hound, just like uh, Barak, mm-hmm. just like Lady Stoneheart in the books. <laughs> um, we do have our ice whites who are horrific, mm-hmm. but we also have our fire whites who just seem to still have their own autonomy of their wits about them yeah
1: and that might change which is really scary to think about the possibilities open for fire weights to be manipulated just as ice weights are manipulated by some higher power i guess maybe the prince who was promised or if john ends up being the prince who was promised then does john control all of them but if so yeah so he's like
0: the great others
1: opposite right W- do you control the fire whites, but there's so
0: fewer fire whites than there are ice whites. For now. That's weird. Do you just Can like... you imagine a scene where like Drogon burns everything? <laughs> yeah. And then Daenerys or John, whoever is the prince who was promised, just like does the hand lifting <laughs> up thing and like all of the burnt corpses stand oh, God. up. Oh. Can you imagine? I I see it. Battle of the zombies. Maybe a more direct Parallel really quick is that um, John and the Hound and all of them are more like Mm. fire others because the Knights, Kings, Comrades, the others Mm -hmm. seem to also have autonomy of self. So maybe we shouldn't call them fire whites. We should call them fire others or fire walkers um, because I could still see that the fire whites would be like the corpses that rise up. They're not quite the same. I
1: have one more thing to talk about in this scene. Um, Danny's reluctance to use her literal firepower. At this point, she's desperate. Should Danny have been more aggressive right away with
0: using her dragons? No, I don't think so. I think that that would have played right into Cersei's narrative of her. I think that she got a lot of respect from Jon because he was able to basically predict and tell her exactly why she acted the way she did. Um, And I think that impressed him. Mm -hmm. In terms of saying you don't want to be ruling over a bunch of corpses, you don't want to come in and kill everybody, do you? I think that that made her seem less mad in his eyes. And I think the alliance with Jon is going to be more important than the alliances that she's now lost.
1: Okay. Yeah. Although a navy is kind of important, so we still need to get one somewhere. Moving on to the Greyjoy ship.
0: Yeah, so who is that guy who pulled Theon out of the water? I think Did it was just there? a
1: random Greyjoy. But again, we haven't seen enough Greyjoys for I think it to be
0: important. And like, is it that's a Euron Greyjoy? Because he wasn't mean enough. And like, was it who? Was it one of Euron's Greyjoys? No, it was a normal Greyjoy.
1: It was but one of Are Yara's there any normal Greyjoys left? They specify it in the episode. There were two or three out of all the fleet that survived of Yara's ships. Okay. Yeah. It was in the dialogue, so you had to be really looking for it to pick okay. That up. Okay. Gotcha. But there's not much to this scene. He's basically lifted up out of the ocean, so that we know that he's saved, and then he's completely left alone on the ship.
0: I'm glad we got some closure for for like what he's mm-hmm. up to, but like, yeah, I don't know. It if seemed we'll see him again
1: in a bit. I think he's going to Dragonstone because that's the only place that they can go. They
0: can't go back to Pike. They can't go to King's Landing. And now we're back to King's Landing. So you're on, uh is the new hero everybody loves him this could go two ways in my mind one this is just showing how uh fickle the small people are which is definitely Mm -hmm. a show thing because i think the books go out of their way to make the small folk seem more humanized and real um but so we could see them switching their loyalty to someone like danny really easily or this could also to me show that uh The small folk are never going to love Danny, and so she will have to ultimately kill them in order to take over King's Landing.
1: Interesting takes. I won't say that they're mutually um, exclusive, though, because both could happen either way here. My initial read on the scene that's walking up to the Red Keep is another walk of shame, like really Game of Thrones, and then he enters the throne room on a horse.
0: Yeah, so... This whole interaction, I just thought Jamie's facial expressions were hilarious again. Cersei's like, "When the war is won, you will have your prize," and there's like all of this euphemism, Mm -hmm. and Jamie's just like, "Excuse me." That's one thing that I'm hoping they do better with Euron in the future, though, is I think he's still kind of humorous, Um, like especially with his lines in this episode and the way he teases Jamie, especially Mm -hmm. about like Cersei. It's just he's funny to me and he's not scary enough yet like i thought last yeah. episode seeing him battle was good a good mm-hmm. start but still he's kind of like haha not like ah right
1: yeah which is concerning for me because in the books there isn't funny this is he is terrifying all of the time
0: like this is a spoiler for the ones of winter a chapter that has been released about euron but uh Uh, So if you're avoiding Winds of Winter spoilers, just, like, press the skip 15 seconds ahead button really quick. But, like, (laughs) in the books, Euron is literally sexually molests his younger brothers. Like, he's awful. So, like, the show's just not doing him
1: justice, yes. Um, And then just one more thing. The fate of Yara. They leave this completely open is... I'm going to bring her back to Pike.
0: What's his move here? Um, so, again, I'm going to reference the fact that there was footage of Yara and Alaria in the trailer that we haven't seen in the show. And mm-hmm. Occam's Razor, the simplest uh, <laughs> explanation without making new assumptions is that um, that was just footage that they had that they ended up not using in the show, uh, just because yeah. it really doesn't make sense at this point for Yara and Alaria to find some alone time. But you never know. Alaria's uh, fate is still left relatively open in that she's left alive mm-hmm. so there could be a future where she escapes and saves Yara and they have a little bit of happy we'll see yeah I don't
1: have any other guesses I, she either has to escape or she's going to probably be on Pike or be on Euron's ship the Silence. Mm-hmm. Um, as he sails around doing whatever he's going to do. Yeah. Maybe you go to Old Town and see Sam. Yeah. We shall see. Speaking
0: of Ilaria and Dungeon. Yeah, so how did we not predict this? This is one of those we didn't call it that I'm like a little disappointed in myself on. Well, I
1: kind of called that poison would be used again. You did. By the sands or Arya. Yeah. So in that... Point, I
0: can soft call it. But, like, <laughs> it just seems so obvious. As soon as the yeah. scene started, I was like, "Ah, mm-hmm. uh, duh, like, a daughter yeah. for a daughter. This is, uh, yeah. like, I'm very disappointed in myself. So Cersei asks Alaria why she killed uh, uh, Marcella. She says, why did you do that? And I, I wrote down, that's what everyone's wondering, <laughs> because... That's the opposite of how this plot happens in the book. Um, Marcella's alive and mostly well in the book and was in the process of being crowned by the Sand Snakes. My main question for the entire Dorne plot is, why did they kill Marcella? It made no sense. And so when Cersei asked, why did you do that? I just kind of giggled to myself.
1: My overall feelings with this scene was that I just loved Lena Headey's performance. I shivered. Like straight up. And um the acting laria
0: I also wanted to shout out her acting Mm -hmm. was incredible. So Cersei walks in and starts making out with Jamie, obviously turned on (gasps) by the her vengeance. So I wanna complain about Cersei for a little bit and it's not Lena Hetty. I think she's doing a great job of acting as always. But this is not Cersei. This is not the Cersei we have come to know and love in either the TV show or the books, I think. Um, Cersei is vengeful and paranoid and an awful person who makes terrible choices, but is also sympathetic from time to time. This Cersei is like, who's randomly turned on by killing people, is like a weird, just not... I think it's just a mischaracterization I I was really turned off by this um I mean we've seen in previous scenes where she has carried off vengeance and stuff yeah she's happy with herself she's pleased but like she should be still mourning her daughter in this scene she she should be like coming to terms with her grief again that would be a realistic thing not like going to make out with Jamie. It's the same complaint I had in the first episode where she just kind of plays off Tommen's death where she's like, yeah, whatever, my son died and now we're alone. Like, it's just this weird lack of the maternal emotion that I've come to expect from Cersei. And I think that they're Mm -hmm. really doing her character a disservice in this season Mm -hmm. by making her very much one-sided.
1: I don't know if I agree with you on that. Cersei has no fucks to give at this point anymore so she's queen of the seven kingdoms she is totally off her leash and i could see that i can see your complaint about this not being cersei of books or cersei of past ship but having the children gone this is this is what's left of her so i that would be my argument as to it's kind of consistent with cersei's new character
0: yeah, I guess my complaint will just be that I don't think it's giving her enough credit as a character. I think it's kind of simplifying mm-hmm. her in a way that makes me sad because Cersei's complexity is one of my favorite things about her in the books.
1: That I hope Jamie was only doing this to get back at Euron preemptively.
0: I think that's another valid argument is that in the books we see Jamie drifting away from his love for from Cersei and mm-hmm. last season seemed to mimic that a lot. So yeah. the fact that he's come back to King's Landing and immediately fallen back with her is just like very confusing and an oversimplification of his character and the situation.
1: Yeah. I'm like what happened to your feelings for Brienne? What happened to this oathkeeper new Jamie that we were going to see? Like yeah. the principled jamie lannister
0: and finding out that cersei was cheating on you with people which is what crushes him in the books like it's just weird yeah we one
1: more thing before we move on does what this woman saw
0: she's seeing jamie and cersei in bed does she get away with that um I, i think it depends on how fast the pace is going to be here okay Um, I could see it being an issue, especially with Euron, um, because at this point, he basically sees Cersei as his betrothed, I think. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, I could also see it just not ending up mattering at all. I would like to thank the former. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, And so then we get to see our friend from the Iron Bank. I didn't even know he was back this season. Yeah. Um, From Sherlock. Thank you for joining us again.
1: Takeo Nestoris from the Iron Bank. So this is interesting because he alludes to the fact that they know that Cersei was responsible for the Sept of Baelor. He acknowledges that they're skeptical of all of these quote-unquote revolutionaries um, going against the crown. And Cersei comes prepared for this meeting with him, and Um, tries to lobby him for support from the iron bank
0: yeah this is a weird tangential plot that just kind of threw me off a little bit I was just like oh okay so the iron bank is back and the Lannisters owe them money and they're going to support the Lannisters again over Daenerys and somehow this is all really important uh okay that was my basic attitude towards it
1: (laughs) yeah for me because I went back to my book notes because I was like I don't remember that Iron Bank coming to the Lannisters in King's Landing and I don't know why they would do that in the show world because there hasn't seemed to be a strong link either um, given that nothing really came out of Mace Tyrell's meetings with them um, back when Arya was over in Braavos So what I learned from my book notes is that in A Feast of Dragons chapters 36 to 42, um, the Iron Bank is becoming a bigger player, Um, but it's only in the context of that the Iron Bank is funding Stannis and then helping finance getting the Castle Black and the Wall more resources um, so they can buy food and support more men at the Wall.
0: That's what I had remembered. So I feel like they realized that Danny was set up with all of the pieces. And so they made the first few episodes here all about making sure that we understood that Danny was still up against a lot and didn't have all the power. And this is just giving Cersei another ally here, I guess. I don't know. I'm kind of confused by where this is going to go. Yeah. Unclear
1: why they turned up because we've had no allusions to this uh-huh. no mention of them needing money no displays of the Lannisters because we've seen in previous seasons oh the Lannisters at Early Rock the mines are no longer working um but i think the the only other um connection that this has to the rest of the episode is that it's just there so that when Cersei gets the Tyrell money she's paid off all her debts and
0: so we won't see the iron bank again ever i was also really confused in the episode where um she says stay a fortnight and then you'll have your profits back and then Mm -hmm. of course that ended up being just like foreshadowing the twist at the end of the episode so that was weird to me but then it kind of made sense i guess
1: again the pacing doesn't allow anything to be built up anything else from this scene Um, Just one note, the Iron Bank is not involved in the
0: books with slavery at all. In Slaver's Bay or Dragon's Bay, however you want to call it. Specifically because Braavos was founded by former slaves, so they vehemently hate all things Targaryen and dragons, which is the one consistency here that they're not siding with Daenerys, which was predictable. But they hate slavery, so the fact that... That they are funding slavery and took a huge hit on their profits from slaves is just like a really gross
1: mischaracterization. Yeah. Okay. But Um, anyway,
0: the next scene made me happy. (laughs) So I love the fan service in this scene where um, they're talking about brooding. Because, of course, like the, the fandom loves to talk about how angsty John is all the time and how he's brooding. So that was just funny. So you actually like sometimes when they put
1: fan service in the dialogue. I
0: like fan service, all right. I just don't <laughs> like references to 2016 hairstyles. And then um, I I have notes here that I was frustrated again with the dialogue, but then I said, but Peter could make any line good. What I noticed <laughs> in the scene is that, um, based on the dialogue, we do find out the
1: North does need Tyrion's strategic mind. Tyrion does need to know about the Whites. He does need to know about the Others, um, he needs to know about the whole situation especially if he's the one strategizing for Daenerys because Daenerys can go in there and not worry about strategy um, Tyrion says "Minds weren't made for problems that large and that was that was good writing guys mm-hmm. I loved that and um, also that Daenerys protects people from monsters
0: yeah I, I'm giving us a soft call in on this just because Tyrion is playing the exact role that we predicted of bringing mm-hmm. John and Daenerys together because he trusts both of them and they both trust him. So mm-hmm. kind of we watch him playing both of them a little bit to make them both trust each other more in the scene. So that we totally called that. Um, I have in all caps, he is a matchmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hype about that. And it's perfect.
1: He doesn't want to be pushy for either of them, mm-hmm. but he's just the bridge. Yeah. So, yeah. well done.
0: Uh- I think Tyrion's given great advice here in terms of, hey, look, she doesn't believe you. She has no reason mm-hmm. to. Would you believe yourself? Ask for something she can give you and give her an excuse to be nice to you. I thought that was really good advice. Um, anything else, or do you want to move on to Tyrion and Daenerys here? We can move on. She refers to Jon as the king in the north rather than by name. And she's Mm -hmm. not doing it sarcastically. At least it doesn't come across sarcastically. She's not like, oh, the king of the north. She's like, very serious. So I think that she respects him more than she wants him to realize she does, which is smart of her. But I think that she does, she's kind of subconsciously does trust him and see him as an ally. Because you're related. You're in love. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) You're a Targaryen. Yes. Yes.
1: Did you read the scene as almost flirty, or was oh, yeah. I projecting? Oh,
0: I thought there was a lot of flirting going on in the scene. I don't think either of them okay. knows it.
1: We should, should mention that Danny doesn't believe him yet, so that's well, yeah. a thing that he still needs to work on. Um, and that Daenerys will let John get all the dragon Glass from Dragonstone, but it'll be her men working in the mines and her resources. To get the dragon dragonglass yeah. and to get it back up to the wall.
0: That seems fair to me.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, there was a comment that uh, something about people enjoy what they're good at in reference to Tyrion, but then it's also, John is like, wait, I don't enjoy what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, what he's good at is war. Fighting. Which yeah. I thought
0: was also a cool callback. Um, there's a, a scene, I think it's in season 4 four or five maybe with Danny and Barristan Selmy um I just remember he says something about the fact that Rhaegar was good at killing but he didn't like it and I thought that was a cool little callback oh yeah well we also need Bran to come in and do some here's what's up eh? download him
1: well that's a good transition
0: (laughs) yes I tried Um, So there's, first off, there's a new maester at Winterfell who we need to keep an eye on because he had a lot of lines talking about um, keeping track of how much food they need at Winterfell for the winter. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like this is really Peter's final hurrah. I really, like, I think he's going to die very, very, very very soon. um, Because he's talking Mm -hmm. about the fact that, you know, if you just predict everything and look at every possible option... Uh, you'll never get caught off guard. We need Sansa to oust him, and we need to, a reason for her to do that pretty soon here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have our first Stark family reunion. Oh. And I will say I was really, really disappointed with some of this. I don't know. if Wait, was... me too. Was it yeah. the acting? I don't think it was the acting because okay. I think Sophie's acting was Fantastic when she finds Bran, and that emotion on her face was just perfect. But um, I think it's bad directing and bad writing for Bran. Um, I think Isaac's doing everything he can, and I think he's doing the best with what he's given, but he's clearly being directed to be like this weird, emotionless. Yeah, that came
1: out of nowhere because that's not how Bran has been for any other season. I mean, we Burn. saw
0: it a little bit in the first episode and you and I were both kind of confused, like, what is Bran doing? But even when Bran was with Benjamin last season, he was Bran. Like, kind of maybe a more sad version of Bran, but he was Bran. And now he's like this weird, I am the three-eyed raven, I have no emotions. Also, I watched you get raped.
1: Like, yeah. It, what the I the heck call BS on this. Yeah. Because... Like, give him maybe a season and maybe ease him into this expressionless role because I can see how the Three-Eyed Raven would become that, but you don't become that in one episode from don't. 6.10 to 7.1. That doesn't exactly.
0: Give us, like, him slowly losing his himself as he goes yeah. and sees these visions. Give us yeah. him having to sacrifice things for this knowledge. But, like, this is just poor transition poor writing poor pacing and i i saw a lot of outrage on twitter last night about this where people are like especially the whole fact that he's like apparently watched sansa get raped and then he's saying these things to sansa that are clearly upsetting her like pushing her away like saying i watched you get married here you look beautiful in your wedding dress
1: that didn't bother me because we as an audience need to know what he knows because it's a complaint that we've had about other characters and other plot lines is that we're unaware of what who knows what.
0: But he, the so fact this that is a he's so emotionless, I think, is the problem because he's clearly upsetting her. Yeah. And he continued to push her and say, like, here's what I saw, even though he could tell it was upsetting her to the point where she had to leave.
1: Like So I don't think that was the lines, though. I think that was, again... You can point
0: back to the directing and the writing. But he does say he needs to talk to Jon. And um, Arya was not in this episode, right. but we should expect an Arya-Sansa reunion soon. I wonder if Bran will still be there, or if he will have left to go find Jon. Is Bran the one who will have to tell
1: all the Stark children like what the other ones are up to? Because that's a weird role. This is Littlefinger talking to Sansa is that Sansa will have to fight every battle everywhere and always and I think this is actually important for Sansa to tell Bran because this ties into the conception that Bran will have to fight the Night's King in his mind like the Three-Eyed Raven and the Night King did previously and so that's I think where this is pointing it's just kind of abstract it's subtle it's subtle. The it
0: achieve subtility in this episode. Finally. Subtlety. Because you know it's not subtle. Mm. The fact that you can apparently cure grayscale by just peeling it off.
1: I have a problem with this. Again, inconsistency. I'm so angry about this. Um, if this was the solution to grayscale, then why did Shireen's face still look like it was half grayscale?
0: Yeah. That's it's- one. Little question. That's one. Why is the advice to chop the hand off instead of just peel it off when it's, you've only got a, a couple spots of grayscale? Just peel it off. Like, this is the most unrealistic, deus ex machina, bad writing. Let's just jump ahead. We needed someone to have grayscale because we needed someone to go to Old Town. For Sam, I don't know, why did we even need Jorah to have Grayscale if this was the solution? It's not like he gave Sam any important information, and it's not like Sam gave him any important information. He's headed back to Daenerys, and we've just wasted like an entire season of Jorah plot.
1: Yeah, we could have gone through Valyria and just seen the stone men.
0: Yeah. (laughs) If there's nothing to do with Greyscale and Dragonglass or dragon fire or any of the things we were predicting, or Greyscale's not going to be some uh, horrific plague that sets into Westeros because Jorah brought it, what was the point? We just wasted so much time. Because in the books, plot... John
1: Connington has it, and he is in Westeros, and it could yeah. turn into an infectious disease thing affecting the whole east coast of Westeros.
0: Right. There is a point in the books for someone to have grayscale and bring it to Westeros. Like, there's a point. This mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad that you are annoyed with that, too. So that notwithstanding,
1: I do love Sam and Marwyn. Mm-hmm. And uh, related, Jorah's skin is grotesque now, so I'm not sure what, how that's going to heal, but Okay. Your skin is all red and patchy.
0: Yeah, so where where is uh Jorah? What, what's his plot now? Because he said he's headed back to Daenerys. <laughs> right. And I predict he's going to Dragonstone. Yeah. There's a part of me that I could see him going to the north um and joining the Night's Watch because we know that was his father's final wish for him. Uh-huh. And let's say... Yeah. Ed gets killed in whatever battle happens. I could see he takes on the Lord Commander role, and that's his destiny. I think that would be sweet. But at the that same time, special. like yeah. he didn't need Graystone or grayscale to get that plot happening.
1: Wait, well, here's what I wrote: Jorah could be great at convincing Danny of the Army of the Dead because of his one connection to Sam. If Danny needs a representative to send to the Wall him and then he can do that Lord Commander stuff, convince Danny. We need to see Sam telling Jorah about
0: the White Walkers. He hasn't left yet. True. Okay. There's a little bit of possible redemption for this arc. (laughs) And so then we go into our final couple of scenes here with uh, Mm -hmm. we start in the war council with Daenerys and her small council and she says that she needs to sink Euron and they're like you don't have a navy and she's like i don't need a navy i got dragons um Mm -hmm. and this is also calling back to a conversation with cersei in the iron bank where she says something about the fact that dragons could take on boats so i think we might Mm -hmm. still get a dragon versus boats battle it's just going to be danny versus euron
1: and euron's going to have cersei's crossbow
0: dragon crossbow yeah I think that's Mm -hmm. how we're gonna see this happen um but their advice is still not to do it because it's too dangerous for her but we shall see to send dragon riders yeah well that's my advice that's not theirs (laughs) we shall see (laughs) um and then we get into the casterly rock battle and i really liked this this almost felt kind of sherlock to me i don't know why it reminded me so much of sherlock can Tyrion narrate all of our battles? I loved it, especially with the twist where we're like, oh no, because I, okay, so um, if you listen to our <laughs> prediction episode, I said in the trailer that it looked like the Unsullied were opening the gates to let more Unsullied out, and so in the yeah. trailer, it looked like the Unsullied were leaving, and it looked, I they showed all of the Unsullied dying in at this casterly rock battle so I thought that the Unsullied were gonna lose the casterly rock battle and so I'm sitting mm-hmm. there being like oh I called it I called it and then they twisted it on us and Tyrion pulled a Sherlock and Told was you. like oh but I know the sewers because I built them and then I also thought that this was kind of repetitive to how she conquered Marine. that's another a yeah little bit of a that's what I, I, I thought had. of yeah although yeah. like it's not necessarily a bad thing it's cool that the same strategy worked twice but like hmm
1: at, at the final scene where Grey Worm is looking at, over the battlements, yeah. I was so afraid when he took his helmet off. I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to be shot or something because <laughs> his helmet was off. Uh, put your helmet back on, put your helmet back on. But then nothing happened. So I was just worried for nothing.
0: Um, but they are now <laughs> stranded at Casterly Rock. Um, yeah. And they are – Euron's – navy is there and has destroyed all of their ships um Mm -hmm. there are no food at casterly rock so the insulator kind of screwed i am disappointed we didn't get to see more of casterly rock yeah um but maybe we will in later episodes here um and then quick speed up it turns out the lannisters are actually at high garden yeah oh wait
1: before that i had one last thing sorry um, braun and randall tarley yeah are leading the lannister
0: army with jamie yeah that was an important <laughs> braun's gone so far um so somehow in a matter of one episode jamie went from king's landing to casterly rock got everyone on board marched to high garden and fought a battle that's what and Also, Elena Tyrell ended up going from Dragonstone to Highgarden. Yeah, like, this episode took place over the course of months, clearly. Like, okay, I get the fast pacing, but come on. This this timing is just so bizarre. kind of frustrating. (laughs) Um, I mean, we didn't even get to see the Highgarden battle. We see it after they conquer it
1: yeah well the point of that was probably one to save money but two that the tyrells suck at fighting so there was really not much of a battle which is why you got just the dialogue of jamie and elena um do you want to skip ahead to that
0: speech that conversation um yeah absolutely cool um so Jamie and Elena are talking, and Elena knows it's up that she's lost and that she's gonna die in this moment. I thought that the writing was not very up to par for most of this conversation, it was very flat to me. Um, but it didn't bother me at all. Diana Rigg is, of course, (laughs) an incredible actress and just nailed every mark she had to hit. Um, so once again, the acting far outweighed any dialogue complaints that i will nitpick on um especially that part where they're talking about cersei i thought jamie's dialogue was just not very good or realistic where um she's like oh you you love her don't you and he's like yeah i do and she's like you know she might be the end of you and he goes quite possibly like what
1: (laughs) yeah again this goes back to the conversation that we had earlier in this episode about jamie's motivations and Mm -hmm. his intentions with susan not matching up with last season at all not at all this this really confused me and it just it didn't sit well with me because this shouldn't be where jamie is at jamie is over her Mm -hmm. is most likely going to kill her as the Blancar, fulfilling the prophecy
0: and they're setting it up so much for cersei to be the one to kill jamie like this is like the fourth or fifth time someone's been like Oh, Jamie, Cersei's going to kill you or you should try killing your brother. I don't get why they're trying to beat us over the head with something that I don't think anyone thinks is going to happen. At least if she kills him, it'll be while he's killing her. Like yeah. I don't I don't know. Is this a I'm misdirection that they're trying? Yeah, but I don't I feel like it's as good of a misdirection as Jon Snow is dead, guys. Like <laughs> I just don't It's not a subtle misdirection. And they're choosing There's, something to try to misdirect us on that we are pretty sure we know how it's going to work.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to focus on good things first. Okay. Number one, I do love Jamie slash Dick lie anyway because he just, I do. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I love Elena's comment. You must be very wise by now because of all the mistakes that she makes. <laughs> like, yeah. I think they're foreshadowing. It's talk. it's discussion about um Elena's ultimately had a failure of imagination of how bad Cersei could make things, uh, how evil she could be. And I think again, this could be a problem with Danny because if she doesn't foresee something or doesn't want to pursue um, that could be a major problem
0: mm-hmm. um, for her. I'm glad that Olenna got to tell Jamie at the end that she was the one who set up Joffrey's death um, because this is really interesting in terms of setting Cersei and Jamie up against each other because now mm-hmm. Jamie knows that it wasn't Tyrion. Right. And he also knows that his sister and his father set Tyrion's trial up. Right. But now he also might understand Tyrion's rage against their father more Mm -hmm. because he knows that Tyrion was innocent and his father was doing this, setting the trial up. So I think that this is really setting Jaime and Cersei to have conflict about what to do with Tyrion. If um, Tyrion gets captured or if she decides to go after him or... Even if he comes back and tells her, hey, look, it wasn't Tyrion who killed Joffrey, and she's like, I don't care, kill him anyways. I think that that might be a turning point for Jamie. Did either of us have Elena on our death pole? No. So looking ahead, Danny oh, has one ally now, maybe. <sighs> I think that I kind of understand their choice to just go really fast with destroying Yara, Ilaria. And High Garden, so that Danny doesn't have any anyone, because this now forces her to be nicer to John, because he's the only person who is treating her with respect and showing any form of allyship.
1: But the dynamic between the whole group would have been really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, and I think it also, uh, to be a little controversial here for a second, the Bring celebration it. in. Last week's episode where we're saying, look at these badass ladies standing around the small council, making all these decisions. And literally an episode later, only one (laughs) of them still has any power. That is just, that is one of those moments where it's like, okay, showrunners, pat yourselves on the back for one moment of feminism. (laughs) And now what?
1: Well, you have the North. You have Sansa and Lyanna still holding up.
0: You do, but our first time of, like, women in charge of war ends up with all of the women losing. That's frustrating.
1: Yara is the one that I'm looking forward to because she still is alive. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that we should be pessimistic about her yet.
0: I'm not. I just, I'm rolling my eyes in the general direction of the showrunners patting themselves on the back for being so feminist is all. (sighs) I don't, it's not about that at this moment, though. It's not, but I'm still rolling my eyes in their general direction. Okay. <laughs> um. So, questions that I still have at the end of this episode hit me. Open ended things is, uh. So Theon, where's he headed? Like I said, I think Dragonstone. Um, when is John gonna learn who he is? Um, next
1: episode because the pacing of the show. The, those are all of my questions at the end of this episode. Do you have any open strands? Um, second thing is, where is Gendry? Since we were going to be mining, Gendry is strong. <laughs> but Gendry, so he could mine, or more likely, we'll see him being one of the blacksmiths making weapons from dragon glass, which is going to be, be cool. awesome. And I totally see that happening in the books too. So that's mm-hmm. fun.
0: And then, um, just before we get into our ratings, mm-hmm. um, I really quick wanted to touch base on the episode title because that's something I always like talking mm-hmm. about. Um, this was the Queen's Justice, and obviously the uh, very like blatant version of this is Cersei <laughs> getting justice on Ilaria and Olena and everyone is <laughs> just like bowing down to Cersei. But I think another really important one is to look at Daenerys and how she is treating Jon and how um, at one point she says, so you're an open rebellion against me, Mm -hmm. but at the same time she's willing to take him seriously. And so I think that that is another way you could see the Queen's justice being played out is that Daenerys has learned her lesson in terms of the fact that she can't just kill people who disagree with her.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Elena is literally the queen of Thorns, and so her justice mm. is that
0: her um,
1: actions were repaid with her death by poison. So, well,
0: also that her dying moment was one in which she got to screw Jamie over one last time by telling him that she killed his son. And
1: then, do hit me with your rating for this episode. You're going to be so happy with me. This episode. You get a nine because I wrote, I love you, I love you, I love you about various characters for about 40% of my notes, which is unusual. So Daenerys, Jon, Tyrion were my main culprits there. Your work was amazing on this episode. And of course, Elena, Tyrell, Lena Headey, Nikolai. I just, I really, really love this episode.
0: So, I thought the acting in this episode was incredible. And I think that a lot of really awesome moments happened. That battle with Casterly Rock and then the twist Mm -hmm. was cool. Seeing Danny and uh, John meet finally was amazing. Um, Diana Rigg gave a great performance at the end there. There was a lot of great stuff in this. Um, And I left the episode elated and was like, that was such a great episode. But, as I thought about it more and as I processed it more... (laughs) And especially going through it with you, I realized how much I found to pick at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have that in the last episode. I didn't really nitpick much in the last episode at all. So I am going to give this episode a seven. Still great television. The acting was phenomenal, but the pacing was off. Yeah, The dialogue wasn't ideal. And It's Saving Grace is, as usual, how fantastic the cast is. Yeah. I see all your
1: points. You make me want to change my mind, but I'm going to stay (laughs) strong because I really, it just left me really Well, I
0: think you and I also tend to value things differently. Yeah. And that's why our commentary is so interesting because we bring very different perspectives to something that we both love. High five. At the end of the day, we love it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Kate, how can people reach us if they want to tell us how they felt about this episode? Please, please, please let us know what you thought what
1: you felt what you think about our opinions too um and you can reach us at twitter which is at king's Landing pod or by email kingslandingpod at gmail.com for longer form questions comments and just
0: general takes on the podcast or the show yes so thank you as always for listening um We are really enjoying this season, and it's really fun to be able to have these conversations that we had at the end of every episode in the past, but uh, share it with other people. Hashtag four episodes left. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Crying. (sighs) Well, as always, we drink. And we know things. Cheers, everyone.